Welcome to Restored for Life with Pastor Ben Harris, the senior pastor of Restored Community Church, where God's perfect word restores imperfect people. Here's today's message from Pastor Ben. Colosse was located in the eastern Mediterranean. There you see it on the map up on the screens here. It's uh, right of center. Ephesus is right almost in the middle. Ephesus was the coastal city. If you were going to Colosse, you would go to Ephesus first, and then you would travel on to Colosse. It's about 100 miles inland from this harbor city of Ephesus. It sat along a major trade route between the Near East and Rome. It was right in between. Because of this, it was a melting pot for idol worship and false religions as East met West. Today, the site of Colosse lays beneath dirt, unexcavated, in part of modern-day Turkey. Second, let's look at the authors. Paul is the author, clearly here. Uh, Young Timothy certainly contributed. Paul is sitting in a Roman prison, as this letter is penned, probably dictated to Timothy, his helper and scribe, who uh, willingly went to prison as an aid to him. Of course, Timothy could come and go. Uh, He hadn't been convicted of the gospel. Uh, Paul had been, and they're holding him, and they're, he's awaiting trial to decide what is going to happen, his, what his fate is. This is his first arrest, so he will survive this one. His second arrest, he will be executed. But this time, he doesn't know what's going to happen. It's around 60 A.D. That makes it somewhere around 25 to 27 years, depending on what you determine or what you believe uh, the age of this letter was written, 25, 27 years after Jesus Christ has gone back and ascended to heaven. After his, his death and his resurrection, he's gone back to heaven. Paul's writing this letter. Third, let's look at the church. Paul did not plant this church, and there's no evidence that he even ever visited it personally, but he had heard of it and its reputation for being a a growing body of believers. The church was planted by people who had heard Paul's teaching during during his three-year ministry there in Ephesus. Paul kind of set up shop there and started like, you know, a mini discipleship program, kind of like a mini seminary there. And people, he would lead to Christ. He would say, come on over to my house and let's go into the Word. Let me show you what you just committed to. Let me, let me tell you all these things I've learned about Jesus. And so you could go to Paul's seminary there in Ephesus for three years. He was there. And it was likely that these men who had planted Colossae were discipled by him in Ephesus and then went the hundred miles inland to Colossae and planted a church. The church was likely about five years old, plus or minus one year, uh, at the time of this writing. When they received Paul's letter, they're about five years old, a young church. And this coming December, Restored Community Church will be five. We turn five the first Sunday of December. So that's exciting. So that's where these folks are, are roughly at. It's a newer church. Fourth, let's look at the purpose here. The purpose behind the letter is to address and correct doctrinal error. What exactly, we are not told, but we can conclude by the way Paul is giving answers that it's likely that after having been planted as a new church there in Colossae, some wolves 
had come in with false doctrine as to the deity of Jesus Christ. These wolves asserted that Jesus was merely a wise man. Yes, he was wise. Yes, yes, we should listen to him, but he was not God's son and he is not deity. These are, these are Jews who are on the fence. They kind of have one foot in Christianity and they have the other foot. They want to hang on to their Jewish roots so that they're kind of trying to, to meld these two into one. And of course, that, that isn't done very well when you were talking about grace and we're talking about the law. They're still trying to obey the law letter for letter, and they're trying to bring and, and meld Jesus with this. These wolves asserted that Jesus was merely a wise man, but he was not God, and that mankind rather ought to worship angels. And we'll talk more about that in just a second. To combat these grave heresies, and in the first half of this book, we see one of the most powerful presentations of Christology, which is the study of Christ, in the entire Bible. In the second half of the book, we're invited into a, a course on ethics and morality that begins with one's own personal life and how you view God and how you live for Him. It's your personal relationship. Then it moves on to how we deal and live with our families within the family unit. We'll talk about that as we, as this study goes on. And it ends with ethics involved in one's professional life and how to treat others outside the home. In short, the first half of the book is a mini doctrinal dissertation on the lordship, messiahship, and sufficiency of one Jesus of Nazareth, followed by a how to live like Christ course. This is going to be great. Don't miss a Sunday. And if you've got to go on vacation, I understand you do. Or if you get sick and you stay home, watch this. You don't want to, you don't want to lose a single week. The credentials of Christ are put on display here. And there can be no other conclusion than that Jesus Christ is God's one and only Son. That He is the pre-incarnate Son of God. That He is preeminent over all created things. Alive, dead, human, or spirit even the angels. And because of this, Jesus is enough exclusively to be our all-sufficient Savior and sustainer. No one else and no other created thing can make this claim with any integrity. We cannot add to what he's finished in life, in death, or in his resurrection, and we cannot take away a single work that he so powerfully and perfect, perfectly completed. In fact, Jesus so magnificently concluded the work his father sent him down to earth to finish that when he was done, he took his rightful and honored seat at the right hand of God, the father. Talk about a mic drop. He was done. There's nothing to be said after Jesus went back to heaven. He did it all for us. We can't add to anything. We can't uh, try to be good enough. Jesus did it all, and it's called grace. And it's offered to everyone who wants it. However, in this book, the Judaizers, those that would try, however, foolish and, and misconceived to blend law with grace, followed behind Paul and pounced on these new believers in churches. They would wait for him to, to leave because Paul was a powerful man. He wasn't very tall, we're told, but he was, he was a lion. And, and, and these Judaizers could not take on Paul. Paul would, would just shoot him down at every 
turn that they made and every accusation that they would allege about Christ, he would shoot him down. So they got smart and they decided, hey, we can't confront him while he's here. Let's just wait till he leaves the church and then we'll come into the church. Paul had warned both uh, that both would happen in Acts 20, uh, just prior to him being executed uh, for sharing the gospel at his second arrest. He said in verse 29, for I know this, that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you not sparing the flock. Also from among yourselves, men will rise up speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after themselves. Therefore, watch. And that word means watch, means to to keep an eye out, anticipate the enemy coming in and messing things up. These Judaizers argued that every new male believer required circumcision in order to complete their salvation, attempting to add works to the grace that Jesus provided. Not only that, but the the idea of grace alone for salvation seemed impossible for them to grasp. And by practice, thereby making certain parts of the law a continued requirement, they said, in order to maintain one's salvation. Add to that, they blended in astrology, a Greek practice that asserted that angelic beings and stars were in control of things here on earth, and they demanded our worship as well. They said, don't, wor- don't worship Jesus. He- he's, a- he's a man. He's a good man. But don't worship him. Uh, we need to worship the stars. Of course, people are still doing that today. How quickly things can go south. And Nehemiah, if he were here, would shout amen right now. (laughs) I was just gone for a year. Israel turned upside down. I understand that. In effect, these Judaizers were inferring that Jesus' work on the cross and over death, however good, was not enough and that more was required from everyone if they were to be fully saved. But any religion that attempts to add human works to the work of Christ any religion that holds up another book written by man as God-inspired is a religion that leads to judgment and hell, and it ends up a failure. Listen, Jesus is enough, period. Good works will not save you. Baptism will not save you. The horoscope will not save you. Secret handshakes will not save you. An altered gospel is no gospel at all. Jesus is not Michael, the archangel, and he's not Satan's brother, in spite of these other religions that are telling this. Jesus is the second person of the Trinity and the exclusive, all-sufficient Savior, period. Amen? Paul was being led by the Holy Spirit to write. He had an answer for all of the Judaizers and these wolves that would follow along behind him. As to how to answer man's sin problem, Jesus alone satisfied that on the cross, as Paul wrote in Colossians 1, verse 20. We'll get there in a week or two. Here's verse 20. And by him, we're talking about Jesus, to reconcile all things to himself, by him, whether things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of his cross, period. 
nothing added on there. There's not other things that, that brought us peace. It is the blood of Jesus Christ on his cross that brought peace between mankind and God. Jesus sacrificed his life on the cross for our sin, and it brought about peace between God and man for any believer who would receive it for themselves. We'll talk more about that in just a moment. The Judaizer wolves were trying to convince new believers that there was more work to be done than Jesus' death and resurrection had already made peace for between us. By his stripes, Scripture says, we are healed. By his stripes, by the shedding of, of Christ's blood on the cross, that's how we're healed spiritually. See, we're born with a, with a sin problem, and it's fatal. And if it's not dealt with, we will spend eternity in judgment. If you leave this world having rejected the gospel, there's only one other option, and that is for you to stand trial in front of the perfect righteous king, and he will hold court that day. And if you've sinned once in your entire life, that's enough to get you sent to an eternity that you don't want. So Jesus stands there, and for any believer, he's already died. He's our, he's our righteousness. He's our, our cloak of righteousness. He's, he's expunged, is a courtroom phrase, to be, to be completely removed. He's expunged our sin. It no longer lives. God no longer sees it. We are completely righteous before God if you've taken his offer of salvation. Jesus is enough. All we need to do to be forgiven is to repent. That means to turn away from the direction you and I were going and turn around and head towards God. Jesus said, repent, for the kingdom is near. And he told people to stop going the way that you're going that seems right because that way, see, that, that way leads to death. We need to turn around and we need to follow God. We need to acknowledge that we're sinners and that we want his gift that he's given and that he's offering the gift that's only good in this lifetime. Paul's primary theme in the letter is the preeminence or supremacy of Jesus Christ. He has no rival, and there is no second place runner-up. It's Jesus, period. Once this was established, the believers were free to enjoy their salvation, to enjoy the grace that, that, that God has given them. Every person who has surrendered their life to Jesus is saved and instantly apart of the body of believers in Christ. And Christ is the head of that body. The church is the body. And Jesus Christ sits at the head of this body. We can't add anything to what he's already finished, so we're complete in him. We have everything we need to live out abundant and victorious lives. Everything we need was written to us in a book called the Bible. And the more we read it, the more we understand the God that saved us. The more we understand how to live life successfully. I've told this story before. As a men's pastor, you get men coming in pretty regularly, um, uh, and they, they want to talk because life is turned down, uh, upside down. Rarely got a man that came in and said, I, I'm just here to tell you life is good. <laughs> you know, uh, those are the ones you want. But, um, but, you know, 99% of the time, they're there because life is upside down for them. And they're asking, what do I do? How did I get here? What, how, how come God led me here? 
And I let them vent and, you know, for a while, but, but when they, it seems like they're running out of gas, I say, can I just ask some investigative questions? Yeah. How often are you in the Word? They just stare at you. Sunday mornings, uh, they're up on the screen. You don't read your Bible at home? Well, uh, no. How often do you have a relationship? How often do you pray? Again, the blank stare. Okay, well, here's where you're missing out. God has given you everything to live a life that's successful. And you can't know his will if you don't know God's word. I'd be in the same boat you are right now. If I didn't read his word, I wouldn't know his will. And so the key is that God has revealed himself to us through his word. We have everything we need to live abundant lives, but we got to open it up. we got to read it. Notice as we begin our study next week that rather than begin his letter by attacking these wolves or, or just opening up this doctrinal statement against them to, to show them as wolves, uh, Paul starts by exalting Jesus right from the beginning of his letter. Paul couldn't help but do this after being saved from the life that he had lived. You, you know, he chased down Christ, early Christians of his day, and he would arrest them and bring them back to Jerusalem where they would be held in jail and they would uh, have a trial. Some of them would go to prison. Some of them would be executed. You remember Paul was at the, the stoning of Stephen where he held the cloaks right there to make sure he died that day. I think Paul had a lot of regret at times thinking back on how he, how he got started, but he understood God's grace and forgiveness and that's how he had a successful life. Paul was always pointing to the supremacy of Christ. He did this in five ways, and we're going to see this in his letter. The salvation message of the gospel was always there. His redemptive work on the cross. Jesus as being creator of all things. Christ being the head of the church. And then the apostles' own ministry and calling always pointed back to Jesus Christ. Paul did those five things. He wrote about them regularly. Once he had strongly established that Jesus is enough, Paul moves forward to take the false teachers head on, and he doesn't do it in a shy manner. Their false claim, he would de deal with each one and why what they were saying was a lie and what Jesus had said was true. Remember, if it's not true... It's not new, and if it's not new, it's not true. Scripture has already spoken. So these, these uh, heretics that come in with a, a new uh, revelation from God, we hold it at arm's length and go, oh, wait a minute, Scripture is sufficient for us here. No, but God told me that you all need to do X, Y, and Z. No, we're going to do what Scripture says. That's starting to spread through Christianity in America it's becoming more and more popular. And to me, it's frightening to see this, but we shouldn't be surprised because Jesus said at the, in the end times that many would be led astray, even Christians if possible. We've got to stay in the Word, in the Word, in the Word. Everything in our life has to be filtered through the Word or we can be led astray as well. The best defense is a good offense, and Paul explains some foundational truths to them and then encouraged them to start living their lives out 
in God's Word. Most false teachers will not stick around a church, I've noticed, after they learn that the Word is, is preeminent in the service, that we're going to teach right out of the Bible. That's a problem for them. And, uh, and especially if they learn that you guys and, and all of us are doing what the, what the Word tells us to do. It's hard to come in and sell something that's false when everyone knows what the truth is. Their Achilles heel is, is hearing someone in the church say, thus saith the Lord, or let's see what the Bible has to say about your statement. They tend to just kind of turn around and leave and look for another church. Too many Christians today simply will say, well, it really doesn't matter what anyone believes. It's, it's, all, it's all good. But that's problematic from the start because false teaching does no good in the end. Only God's Word will lead people to living good and godly lives. That's the only way. Wrong doctrine will always lead to wrong witness and living, and right doctrine will always lead us to right living and witness. All doctrine demands a response from the hearer, follow me. And you can follow a lot of false religions out there, or you can follow Christ. It's your decision. Make sure you're following good doctrine, though. Many scholars believe that the book of Colossians is Paul's most profound letter, and it's the deepest and most doctrinally challenging writing from the apostle. Sometimes this causes people to avoid it altogether or to simply uh, skip across the top of it in order to not get caught up in these difficulties or its profound, deep teaching. Sometimes we just feel a little overwhelmed with the Word of God. I understand that. Augustine, while puzzling over the doctrine of the Trinity, was walking along the beach one day when he observed a young boy with a bucket running back and forth to pour water into this little hole that he had dug. Augustine paused for a moment and watched him do this and then asked, what are you doing? The boy replied, I'm trying to put the ocean into this hole. (laughs) Then Augustine realized that what he'd been trying to do was to completely understand an infinite God. And that doesn't happen until we get to heaven. Down here, we will strive for truth, to understand it the best we can, but we won't ignore it. If you feel like that young boy, welcome to the club. But don't worry, we're going to unpeel this onion one layer at a time as we discover the reason why Jesus is enough. And I encourage you to bring a pen and some extra paper. We're going to seminary next week. (laughs) If you're going through deep waters, I don't know what you're going through today. It might be a health challenge. It might be a financial challenge. It could be a relationship challenge. It could be anything. Let me tell you, Jesus is enough to see you through this. I know he is because I've walked through those dark valleys at times. And I felt like I was drowning at times. But when you reach out, Jesus Christ is always there. His Holy Spirit will guide you all the way home and he'll get you through whatever you're going through. Jesus is enough. Let's pray. Father God, we're so grateful for that statement that your son, Jesus Christ, is enough that we can face anything in life, any difficulty, any challenge, any fear, can be struck down in a moment when we turn to you 
And we run to you because you are a God that cares for us. In fact, so much that you were willing to to part with your one and only son who loved us and saved us. God, let us never forget that. Let us all be always be mindful of what it took for that to happen. The cost to you was immense. And while it's free to us, it wasn't free to you. Certainly wasn't free to Jesus. Help us to remember that. Help us to remember that when we leave this building today, that it's all about you and that you've told us to do one thing, go make disciples. Help us to be about your business until your son returns. Help us to be found faithful when he comes back to call his home, your children. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Restored for Life is a radio ministry brought to you by Restored Community Church. Visit RestoredCommunityChurch.org to learn more about Pastor Ben Harris and for service times. Join Pastor Ben next time as we set out on a journey to discover the authentic life as Christ followers through obedience to His Word.